Hey guys, and welcome to the Two Red Chairs podcast. I'm your host, Frank. Welcome back. Today, I have um, a special guest all the way from America. It is Tony Dosat that you would know as the host of XD Podcast. Tony, how are you going? Hey, what's up, Frank? I'm so happy to finally be sitting on this red hot chair. It better be red hot, <laughs> even though we're both on like black, black. You know, fabric chairs. Well, we got hot butts. Let's make the chairs red. That's where Photoshop comes in. Now, Tony, we've got you here today to tell us a bit about UX design, mainly for, I guess, my own purposes, because UX baffles me. It, it feels like the lost part of design that I don't yet understand. And from your words, this is where I'd hope that you could educate me just as much as people listening to this podcast as to what it is, how you go about getting into that um, area of design in a career sense or as even a freelancer. And then um, those key fundamentals that make up what UX is and how to actually apply UX design in context. So Tony first, let's go back to you, my man. Yeah. My man is who are you? What do you do? Where are you in the world, apart from obviously America, because that's <laughs> where I introduced you from. <laughs> Tell us about yourself, my friend. Okay. Oh, well, hey, everybody. Um, I'm sure Frank's wife is listening and um, maybe a few <laughs> others. Maybe Just Creative's on listening. Anyway, um, <laughs> my name's Tony. Actually, you know what? You said my last name right, and no one does that. So I applaud you. That's a well, that's like a skill you should put on a resume. I can pronounce everyone, last names correctly. Yeah, well, this is my problem. Everyone gets my last name wrong all the time, which mm. is and even my first name. That's just why I call myself Frank, just yeah. for that purpose alone. So Dosat is not that hard. Because we've never gone over experience. that. Maybe you've listened or something, well, but we've never. I've never coached you on it. Anyway, all that to say, that's my name. <laughs> yeah. I live right outside of Dallas, Texas, here in um in America. And I work for an agency that is called Bottle Rocket Studios. And we're part of a larger network. Uh, I think some of the ownership was sold off, and, you know, five years ago, whatever, whatever it is. But we're still very much, you know, run at our own pace. We have some partners that um, we connect with sometimes, but it's very much we're doing our thing and we're just part of a larger company that exists. I think we're trying to partner up some more, but it is what it is. So there we do digital transformation. And what that means is a client will come in, say for example, Southwest airlines, which here in the States, I don't know if they do international or not, but here in the States, we essentially are their digital team. And we've okay. not only become like the builders of the thing, but also advisors to them and and every step of the way have been with them in developing their mobile experience. And so that's what I do. I, I, I'm not, let's see, this is going to be interesting because here's the thing. I started out as a UX designer, what most people would consider a UX designer. But now I still consider myself a UX designer, but not the definition that people might still consider. Now I have to throw the word strategy in there. Like I, I'm, I just do experience strategy mm -hmm. um, okay. where I, I don't do any pixel execution at all. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that, won't we? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is probably my big thing is... Well, and for many designers is to define what it is we do. Um, yeah. You know what we do, you know, for, for branding, it's a very contentious thing because everyone has their own sort of sound opinion of what it might be. Those opinions change over time as you start understanding more and more about what it is you do. And I'm guessing from your perspective, that's probably the same thing that's happened as you've grown in your career. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Here's the thing. 
I actually think that designers, I can't speak to many brand designers because um, I don't work with any, but sure. as far as UX designers go, I think we're just a little too precious about <laughs> about what we're called, who calls us what, and how we get represented. Now, mm-hmm. I have gotten heat before for saying that, but it's just the fact. And I think the fact that I got heat for it speaks volumes. Yeah. Because I would say, as a brand designer, that you very much have your hand in the user's experience. However, a, a lot of, not all of them, a lot of UX designers would say, what are you talking about? How dare you? <laughs> Maybe they wouldn't say, <laughs> yeah. how dare you? But no, they, they're deep down, they're thinking, how dare you? So yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I welcome people into the to user experience that the whole point of it is thinking of the user. So why wouldn't I welcome anybody who has feedback or anybody who wants to call themselves a designer in the room, in the brainstorm? I'm not going to say, actually, you're not a designer, so you can't brainstorm with me. Yeah. Like, that would be the <laughs> worst thing ever. Just please leave the room. Thank you. Goodbye. So if I had to define what it is, the problem is, is that I'm a very strange person in UX, I guess, where... I mean, maybe I'm not. I, there are a lot of people that probably think this way. But I would say that it does a disservice to the design process and the design thinking process if you limit UX to one, just the digital space, and two, just your traditional quote-unquote designers, mm-hmm. UX designers. Now, traditionally for you guys, it would be more like nowadays is the product space. And by product, we mean yeah. like apps and those kinds of things rather than it being, you know, anything. Like the only reference that I know to what the foundation of UX design was, was that book by Don Norman, who yeah. wasn't talking about app design because that wasn't a thing at the time. That's exactly right. It was right. about a user experience of like a chair or a lamp or whatever it is. I've not read the book. This is the general gist that I've got. Um, and how that's really just pigeonholed itself into this silo of we're the people that create better experiences with apps and websites. Yeah. And, and furthermore, I think that's actually a very good point that you bring up this guy that we hold up as one of the poster children of UX, mm-hmm. which apps didn't exist. Your phone in your hand, in your pocket like that, didn't exist and yet now when we talk about ux and you see all these things i think it's very narrow-minded and i think honestly it keeps people from advancing in their careers really truly i believe that because i can't tell you how many times a client in whatever industry it is say it's for example what we call qsr which is quick service restaurant So say, for example, a client comes in and as part of being a digital advisor to them, we have to think about their, their non-digital experiences Mm -hmm. in order to correctly identify the problems that they have, whether it's in the screen or in the storefront, like brick and mortar, because they all talk to each other. Mm -hmm. It's not like you live in a silo in your phone and then all of a sudden you go inside of a store and you don't have that part of you. I mean, it's part of you. Yeah. We are living in a connected lifestyle. Yeah. It all bleeds yeah, it, it all bleeds together. This is my conjecture with it is is where why there needs to be that delineation that you generally see with most UX designers to say that yeah. this is where the buck kind of stops is is that app and that's what we really do. Whereas from like my perspective is doing brand strategy in whichever way I form I do it. I'm kind of thinking about the whole experience that that customer has in that journey of where your touch points from a brand perspective can hit that customer yeah. so that it is consistent. So that if you did have a, you know, an online app for ordering, you know, takeout, which a lot of companies are now turning to given, you know, the current pandemic, what that experience needs to be for them, just the same as it would be as coming into the store to have, 
an experience that they're familiar with kind of thing. Um, how, how do you make it as frictionless as possible? Yeah. And to, as you said, like just to have it narrow minded, that's where I, I struggled to see why UX is different every time you go through an application process of, of creating an application, why that process is fundamentally different every single time. Yeah. That is a really astute question because it kind of goes back to maybe one of the first things I said in this interview, which is I think designers get a little precious and I think, listen, I am all about innovation. However, innovation for the sake of innovation is nonsense. It's poppycock. It's like, it's, 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 there's no, there's no need to recreate a wheel until the wheel becomes a problem. You know? Now, that being said, it depends. That's like the categorical designer question. answer is, it depends. It's, it's so is. It always depends. And you're like, for God's sake, just give me some clarity here. Yeah. Which is I true. Understand. It does depend 99.9% of the time. But... Say, for example, again, the QSR space. And you think about an order flow of how you want to sign up, find a store, make an order, and hit submit. If you want to reinvent the wheel, you'd go nuts with it. Now, should you let yourself go there in brainstorming? Sure, of course. You might unearth some things. But at the end of the day, it's about how, it's not about how clever I can be with my designs. It's about what's the easiest path of least resistance that's just great user experience because that bitch is hungry and wants the food. That poor man. Um, <laughs> the, the, having that experience, like if, if it was, if you were, let's say you were niched down into that space of, um, that customer service space of if, if it was that restaurant. So you niche down into just restaurants and you provided apps for them. Why the user experience is different when you know what works best yeah. every single time for that thing. Why does it change per the customer apart from just the end product or, or whatever it is that they're trying to buy? Um, or is it like fundamentally is a UX person brought on to ensure that the design team is actually making the right decisions time and time again based on the formula that works because you see, let's say a typical website has, you know, your menu, the top of the navigation bar, you have your little bit, little bit, little bit, as you scroll down, you have call to action buttons, you have a footer and that's kind of the game. You want to have other little bits here that are fundamental parts of if you're a software as a service product that you can click and order and buy online or sign up online for me, it's like, why is there a totally different process needing to happen every time? Or is it just understanding, okay, what do you need? Okay, if you need that, then we have XYZ solutions to provide you. This is how we do it. If you're unaware of how to do it, this is why we're here kind of thing. If that makes sense. I, don't I think part of it did. I think the question is mainly why you, you're assuming that... <clears throat> based on, say, for example, a marketing site. Why is it that so many are different when it works one way? Is that what your question is? Yeah, like we, we all fundamentally know what an app generally can do because there's learned behavior involved mm -hmm. in an app design where you press a button, you know that it's a button, you know a button's a button because of certain you know time of interacting with several like it. Yeah. why the user experience then has to change as, as a bespoke thing, much like a logo. Like we know what logos work best. They have to be simple and, and vibrant and have a certain font that's just consistently used. It's just having someone that knows how to execute to make that. If that's the exact same process for a UX designer to come in to be valuable to that business. Yeah. So when it comes to, when it comes to, let's just say it's for digital products. So if you think about user experience design as a problem expertly identified and elegantly solved. So on an app-to-app -app basis, that problem could change based on the user needs and the business goals. If the user's needs 
evolve over time and change, then the way that you've elegantly solved it has to change. Mm-hmm. I think where designers get tripped up is that they start solving for problems that don't exist. Sure. And then trying to find problems after the fact. Mm-hmm. Or they just want to try something new or they're tired of doing whatever or somebody in some user test said that it was cool. Now, they also don't want to look like everybody else or have the same interactions as everybody else because they think it's like table stakes and it's not going to be cool or or uh, spiffy. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, if you're elegantly solving it, it will feel different and look a little bit different than everybody else, but it will be familiar enough to where the actions the user is taking isn't like, what the hell is this? I just want to get a yeah. burger. I think when people deviate from that too much, they're getting a little too designery or like yeah. um experimental nature of Yeah, they're not they're not putting the user first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. If you are not putting the user first and actually doing a lot of testing, and I mean a lot of testing, mm-hmm. then you'd might as well just put your app up in an art gallery. And that's probably my biggest thing is that I see a lot of like these UI, beautiful UI space designs for apps and, and um, websites that you would never really see in a big brand worthy, you know, use case. Like I wouldn't see Apple doing all these little fancy things. They do from time to time, which is kind of cool, but it doesn't really add to the functionality of you getting from yeah. point A to B. It's just there for entertainment sake, really. It takes a longer to get to the, your end goal, basically. That's the problem with um, Dribble. Do you know Dribble? Yeah. I, it's just this, it just feels like this flexing. Like It is. That's exactly what it is. Okay. It's flexing. It's, it's doing it, at, at least you know, in the space that we live in social media on Instagram. And I, I, you said you know Dribble or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I am on a mission. And I'm, I, I genuinely... I, I'm not saying the founders of Dribble are bad people or that I want to poo-poo their product. <laughs> Designers have ruined Dribble. Make no mistake. The people that set out to create Dribble, I'm sure, did, did not originally want it to be what it is today. Which is, pick a trend, and what can I design that will get me the most likes on the homepage with this trend. And look, every time I say that and every time I, I give dribble heat, people get upset because they're like, well, what? I use it for inspiration. Like, sure. or you could use people as inspiration. <laughs> yeah. That will, in that context of what it is you are doing in UX, in the UX space, then 100%. If, if I was a UI designer, I would say yeah. I, I completely agree. But as a yeah. UX designer or a UX professional, if you never got on Dribble again, you'd be completely fine and you could find a lot of inspiration in other places that were more meaningful. But and the fact that, that comes... it's invite only and it's like you have to send me your yeah. one shot. Yeah, that part I hate. Send me your <laughs> one little shot. And listen, I, I'll be the first to admit, I was into it. Early in my career, when I was still... Um, Fresh off the boat, I was I was still I was into it. I was like, oh, I got I got accepted. I have yeah. some invites. I can now judge people based on one stupid shot with no context. <laughs> anyway, I have to digress. Do you think it just keeping with it for a second? Do you think that it's not helpful for UX designer to look at Dribble because there is no context of what has actually happened to get to that point? That's right. That's why Dribble is meaningless for UX designers. And I'd say it's exactly the same for a branding person because it doesn't justify what's gone into the context of the final output. Yeah. If you do execute from start to finish, so from a brand strategy point of view, discovery at least, to the final visual identity, which is all people generally focus on. They don't see you know, a messaging side, the positioning side, a custom segmentation breakdown, all these kind of yeah. things that really make a brand what it is. 
just the same as a user experience is for that particular individual when they're interacting with that person. Um, and God forbid on Dribble, if you try to interact and ask them questions about it, God forbid you do that or, or point out that it's, it's not accessible and the contrast ratios are horrific. They go, it's dude, it's just a concept. It's like, hey, I, yeah. okay, I'm sorry that I asked a question as a UX professional <laughs> about your one shot. Anyways, I don't mean to just gripe and bitch and moan. I sound like a really, I sound like a guy that's been in the biz for forever and is just pissed at everything. I'm actually not. Here's, here's a, a true story, which is going to sound counterintuitive to everything. I don't know anything. It's a fact. I don't know diddly shit. However, <laughs> as a UX designer, and as someone who's always trying to be empathetic about the users, I think it's best to think you don't know anything. Because when you go in a room for discovery, and you meet with these people that have been doing their industry for a decade or 20 years, you don't know anything. You know nothing about what they do day to day. And one True. of my favorite people, Peter Smart, told me a quote. He says, I live to be a curious idiot. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, yes, sir. That's how I want mm -hmm. to be. I want to be a curious idiot. And yes, like, do I have an expertise, quote, in quote, which I'm not a fan of the word? Sure, of course. But I never lead with it. I lead with, I'm here to understand. And then hopefully, as we go through this, my suggestions based on research and empathy can then be understood. I like that. And I think that's probably what a lot of designers just in general, not in the UX space, but in any space are really looking to, or should be looking to, to, to do in that first instance having an assumed thought about what it is you are providing that person to say, okay, they come to you asking for an app or logo, a website, and you just say, yeah, sure. Let's go for it. And here's the design in a week or two. What do you think? You then start wondering why the, the client comes back to you with some weird feedback that you just go, I what you want to change that to red or you want to, you know, because you've not found out what it is really that you are trying to actually make. You've just assumed from the get-go. Frankie, Frankie baby, let me tell you, that brought up something. I thought of something when you were saying that. <laughs> Love it. It's another gripe. This is going to be an episode of just griping. Let's just, this is this is airing your dirty laundry with Tony Dosett and Frank from G'day Frank That's right. and G'day Design Life. Yeah. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? This is a hot take. I'm so tired of Instagram posts, memes, <laughs> Facebook posts, tweets, demonizing the client. Have you seen them when it's like, oh, the client just sucks. They like, I'm doing this, but they're this. Oh, this. Oh, the client doesn't get it. I roll or like whatever, like zeitgeist meme is out there that like demonizes the client and makes the designer look like they're like, this, the designer always knows best. And this damn client just has to come along and ask me for one more thing. It's like, what the hell is wrong yeah. with you? Oh, yeah. Shame on you. Uh, uh, you like, you, I, I literally shame on you for feeling that way about the client. Like you should be partners in this. You should, you guys should be so in sync that Not if they end. say something, it's like, yeah. now look, there are times when you just have to rant a little bit because mm -hmm. something's not going right, but that's everything in life. But the client relationship, it's on you if they don't get it. Mm -hmm. They don't live in your space. They don't live in your world. They don't do this every day like you do. And it's on you exactly. to get them. And this whole battle between, it's like, I'm so sick of seeing these stupid memes 
and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's them every day. Like, come yeah, on. What's the red flag client? Oh, that person that makes that logo bigger. Oh, God. And, and I've had this conversation, Tony, with my own like little community, my team GDL community. We had a call about this for an hour about how we're actually the red flags. You know, what kind of red flags are we throwing up to a yeah. client that can put them off and are we understanding them enough? Are we presenting ourselves as the professional? Are we, you know, doing X, Y, Z that really we're there to, you know, serve somebody else they, they don't come to us, you know, thinking generally that you, I'm just going to leave it in your hands because you do, you know, you do you At the end of the day, they come to you asking for someone to be mutually helpful because they know what they know. You know what you know. And if there's a healthy, you know, meeting in the middle where you come together and harmoniously, and this is the, like, if you were to picture it in your mind, instead of sitting across the table from each other, if you're sitting next to each other and looking at the problem, mm-hmm. that's my perspective of going into that relationship. Because if I don't wholeheartedly feel connected to your business, I'm not going to be much help to you. Um, and I don't think that is appropriate or, or worth your time, worth your money. If I don't believe I am suitable to really give my 100% of my time and, and, and energy and, you know, being to help you. If I can't do that. Then what are we doing here kind of thing? And I'm not ignorant, you know, about this. There are some clients that will just steamroll and just bully yeah, yeah. their way into decisions. Yeah, yeah. However, there are also some pretentious asshole designers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on. This is my thing as well, Tony. That quote, I don't know if you've heard it from Paula Sher. It's like, you're not, you know, I, I've designed this logo on a cocktail napkin, but I've been able to do it in five minutes because of the 30 years experience I've had, or whatever, however the quote goes. Like if a designer was of, you know, not maybe Polisher's stature said that to a client, you would be looked upon as such an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, who the hell are you? That's right. (laughs) And when you see people share that and you're like, oh, everyone's like, oh, exactly. Like, no, I really disagree. But I hold my tongue. They say exactly. They've been doing it for like six weeks. No. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Like, say, for example, we are in a meeting and we're discussing the user flow and there's there's been some research done and some wireframes and some... We haven't done user testing yet, but we're going to do some client approval first. And they question something. On what planet would I go, well... See, I've been doing this for about 10 years and you've been flipping burgers for about 10 years, so I think I know who did the wireframes right. Like yeah. on what planet would that be okay? That's yeah. the same and that's the same thing of saying, "Well, it only took me 5 minutes cuz I've been doing it for 30 years." <laughs> it's like, "No, you got really lucky." <laughs> with a little 5-minute doodle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cuz you don't know if it's going to take you 5 minutes when you started that thing. That's right. Yeah. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I said, "Oh, that's now, it." If if we, if we let's let's take it, let's get let's get out of dirty air, dirty uh, laundry airing. Yeah, let's get positive and get, and get in. Let's get into a positive sense here, because I think people were probably coming to this to understand a bit more about what it is a UX designer or a yeah. UX strategist in your sense would be doing, you know, day to day or whatever. Because the term sounds. I mean, it seems like a flavor of the year or last yeah. few years at least, to get into it. What, like, what really is it that you are fundamentally doing? Because from my perspective, I, I have my process of going, getting to A to Z. Yeah. What's the UX sort of, you know, start to finish process look like typically from your experience? So I will speak broadly to like, as what, UX designers do a little bit, and I'll also speak very specifically like to what I do. And I'll start with sure. that. Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> or I'll start the other way. No, no, I'll start with that. <laughs> okay. So on a day-to-day basis, it varies. Dare I say, it depends. But 
when there is an engagement that we get where I work, this is how it goes. First, we kick off the project. Everybody meets everybody. On the team, there's myself, who's a lead, quote-unquote, experience design strategist or experience architect. That's our new title. Ooh, that, sounds, that sounds fancy. I know it is, is this, fancy. And in terms, let's this quickly just stop pause there with titles. Yeah. Is it just to segment team roles effectively, like within your own structure? Yes and no. It's internal and external. You know, whenever we would say experience strategy, internally there's no confusion, but externally there oh. was. Okay. Um. I don't know if it's been cleared up with experience architect, but you know, <laughs> building houses. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, they sell it in a good way and we kind of do the thing that we say that we do. <laughs> sure. 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 Yeah. No, I I, if my boss yeah. is listening, Hey, you know, we, yeah. we, we yeah. talked yeah. about those anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. So we have a kickoff. We go through um, introductions and, Usually there's a lot of relationship building that happens before it even gets to, all right, let's do the thing that I have no hand in. Where I really step in as the strategist is running discovery. And we do have product managers. We do have project managers. We do have development leads. We do have QA, which is quality assurance. All these types of people are in the room. And on their side, we have, you know, typically the decision makers. We have some marketers. We have some operation people. We have the tech side. Whoever might best contribute the knowledge to set us up for success during this project. And it's not dissimilar to what you were talking about when you were going through all of those touch points, you know, we have to talk about the brand. We have to talk about what kind of systems they use. We have to talk about their perception. We have to talk about yep. all the third parties they use. What is the guest journey? And if they believe that the guest journey is when somebody walks into the store and walks out, well, it's incorrect. It goes all the way back to mm -hmm. their thinking of doing something, you know, and yeah. all the way yeah, until yeah. after they've used the product. So then from there, we create a mission statement. And from that mission statement, uh, mission statement um i rally the team behind it and we get to work with um doing research doing app maps and wireframes and i guess if there's a lot of branding designers listening that don't know what wireframes are wireframes are literally just you're on a whiteboard or piece of paper and you're just sketching out ideas that's all you're doing and you're just you know, ideating. So first, in discovery, we're trying to understand. We're trying to empathize with the business and with the user. From there, in the wireframing uh, or in the research, we identify where the problem areas are and how we might solve those problems is through ideation. That's where you start wireframing. That's where you start going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we solved it in this way? And then if you think that that's true, you build it out a bit and test it. And what you think would have been a cool solve sometimes gets pushed through anyway. And that's where, like we were talking about earlier, you start seeing things like, I haven't used this before. It's kind of interesting, but why isn't it just this? Yeah, yeah. But then you test and you go, oh, well, they they, they didn't get it. I guess I got to go ideate some more. I guess I got to do some more research. Or I guess I got to go empathize some more. Mm -hmm. And that's called the design thinking process. Okay. Empathize, define, ideate, test. prototype, yeah. test. Yep. And um, I used to not do it. When I first started, I did not do it because I wasn't in a place that bolstered that process. It was very much a... Um, it did not have a design culture. It had a, we're going to make money culture. We're going to mm. get this out. I don't want to test it. I don't want to do research. 
just make something up, design it. This is where it's going to go. This is what it has to do. And in those situations where you're hired help, you're hired as an executioner, that's very different than someone coming to you and you're forging a partnership and you're saying, how might we together make this the best thing it can be for the user? And they applaud with their money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think with, with this is... For, my thinking is that many designers will come into this, this space or any design space, if it's web design, branding, UX, is that they'll have a fundamental idea of, of what they need to do to execute, but they won't have the understanding of the thinking behind it until they experience enough of those execution point first. So, you know, I'm going to keep drawing back to branding because this is what I know is that as a designer, you start to learn how to actually craft a logo that looks appealing, looks memorable, looks simple. You then understand how to um, translate that into different kinds of touch points. Then you start to understand where those touch points matter. And then you start reading, understanding why those things matter and it's just this you know ever climbing mountain that you end up getting to some pinnacle and then you realize there's another mountain behind it and another mountain behind it of understanding and that bit of information helps you as you keep progressing and for you like i would imagine that this wasn't the thinking as you said you you didn't used to do this before right you would have just gone ahead and assumed basing your your knowledge on the fundamentals you knew of ux until you start understanding and experiencing what actually works and what the thinking and what the why is behind actually doing that. Does that, does that hit right? Yeah. Also, um, there should never be a UX designer or anybody on the team that goes into user testing, wanting to be proven right. Yeah, nice. That is literally the worst mindset you can go into a user test with. And hopefully, God, you know, somebody needs to be facilitating that test that's not you. That's not mm. the designer. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody mm -hmm. that's very well equipped to not lead with their questions or have or or inject biases, etc. When you walk into a testing room, and this kind of goes with your question, I suppose. I want them to literally rip my thing to shit. All the it's work. It's so counterintuitive, really. But it, it... And that's the thing. The problem is people wait too long to get there, and they've spent all this time and all this mm -hmm. money, and then the user goes, oh, no, I don't... I didn't... Oh. I don't know what... I don't know what to press. Oh. I, yeah. Where if... Had yeah. you done it six months ago, you'd be like, okay, yeah. great. We have six months of a project left. We can do this six more times. Yeah. 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 And, and this, that same thinking I think will apply because this is your, what you touched on is user experience. Isn't just pigeonholing it to one, one particular thing being a product. It could be applied to as rudimentary at a rudimentary level, your Instagram content. 100%. What experience is that person looking for? If you're going to sit there and perfect and perfect and perfect, until you think it's right, but then really you didn't put it out there to know if what you've made, like especially if you've gone away and banked up a month's worth of content. Yeah. You think it's, you know, you spent a year trying to make that month's worth of content and then you put it out there and it just falls on deaf ears and you go, well, what, what I, I didn't understand. I don't understand why but if you'd put out one little bit, you'd have learned something and you put out another bit, you'll have learned something, put another bit, another bit, blah, 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 and so on and so forth which is my biggest gripe of people not just putting something out there and, and trying um, yeah, as early as possible. Well, <laughs> I don't know why they would listen to you when there's so many Instagram gurus they can go uh, follow. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Listen, so no hate. All your problems. No hate. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. Like, my Instagram content from the start was rubbish. Like... And, and it's self-admittedly rubbish because it was never intended to be the best thing since last bread. It, it had no purpose to be that. Um, what matters to me, what actually is 
perfect is that final deliverable that a client walks away with. Um, I think what you've done is really smart, actually, on Instagram. If I could just ask us a little bit here. Because... This is why I get these people on. Yeah. (laughs) I told you it was a red chair. Um, (laughs) Because, because first of all, you're very creative um, in what you do. I shouldn't say creative, because a lot of people are very creative in their Instagram posts. I should say very original. A lot of the stuff that you do is very original and out of the box as far as what we (laughs) have come to expect in Instagram in the design space now. Secondly, now I'm a little bit of a different situation because my podcast is on, you know, kind of learning design. My course is on getting hired as design. You know, there is a teaching element to it. So I do want to market to designers. However, for you, the whole point was not to market to designers. Mm -hmm. A lot have gravitated toward it because they're learning a lot, but yours you're not navel gazing as we say here. I don't know if you say it there, but it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show that I know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to get some work here, not with all the posts, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, if we're just inside this bubble, because I I don't, I, I think you live outside and inside the bubble in a respectful way that is True. beneficial to your brand. And that's, the, I, I don't, I don't, di- you know, riff on the Instagram gurus because I don't like them. I think a lot of them are immensely talented and have a lot of great insight. The problem is when you exist inside such a small bubble, which is quote unquote Instagram growth, you know, when the bubble bursts, you're screwed. When your bubble bursts, you've got a lot more bubbles because you're outside of it. For sure. Yeah. And it's, so I applaud you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. For mine, though, like if if you even took the whole idea of just testing, testing, testing to see what connects, can see what works at that, you know, rudimentary level of of your content because you don't know what works until you do it and and you are testing, there's no real kind of end game in Instagram to say, okay, this is what works and I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah. Um, it, It would be the same with, you know, an app design or a web design that if your users change their need or want from what it is that that client offers um then that needs to be evolved it needs to be iterated and that's where the whole cycle would begin again and again i would imagine yeah um so for for those sort of i guess listening is there some kind of like this this is my other thing that just eludes me is um the general kind of fundamentals or laws which just baffles me that there is something called a law of UX design when it <laughs> when everybody so... says it depends. It, that's the yeah, thing when there's a law, but there's a gray area, and uh, that's what confuses the hell out of me. And why there are these laws when there really aren't laws for design? Now, listen, like, I was the... I was on the I was on a positivity track, and then you brought up <laughs> the laws and fundamentals. <gasps> listen, just yeah, fight of the flame. The quintessential answer to every question a UX designer says, we've already established this, is it depends. depends. However, those same people champion the laws of UX. (laughs) I can't Mm. even finish saying it. It's so preposterous. (laughs) That juxtaposition of it depends and there are laws in UX it make of course everyone's confused about what the fuck UX is. Yeah. Pardon my language, but well, this is an open <laughs> podcast. Don't worry. It's, a, this is, it's an Drop E it. by the title. Yes. Of course everyone's confused. Of course your clients pissed at you. They have no idea what you do. They just heard they need to hire somebody, so they hired you. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I have no problem with the fundamentals and the laws if we all understand that knowing who said what and that they are gray is true. I did a post, I don't know, a few months ago, whatever it was. And I said, I've been in the business now for six, uh, sorry, for 10 years. I can't name one law or rule or principle 
that they teach in school. I probably know the principle or the fundamental or the law or have heard of it, but I couldn't sit down and say, Hicks law is this. I know there's one called Hicks law. I don't know what it is. I know there's one called like Occam's razor. I couldn't tell you what Occam's razor is. Mm-hmm. However, I've been doing this for 10 years. I make quite a good living and I didn't go to design school for it. So it doesn't matter who's Hicks, who's Occam's, who's this, who's that. If you want to study up on them, if you're becoming a U.S. great, just know you can't base your decisions on that. You have to base your decisions and your designs on what? The first word of the acronym UX, the user. That's it. I think we probably overcomplicate a lot of parts of design and that would be the fundamental part of UX is overcomplicating it and to make it sound like it's bigger than what it is. And that's been my overarching gripe with the the people that are in UX. And this isn't to knock, you know, your professional or others in that space is that are you, are you putting yourself on a pedestal to make yourself way more important than what you are in the, the process of what the end goal is for that user and that client well, to, to put all these, you know, hoity-toity things that I wouldn't ever, like in, in my context, say to a, uh, a client, well, you need to have the kerning actually like this. You can't have like it, it really wide. Otherwise, what happens is that it's illegible. Or, and f- half the time, I can't even remember the difference between kerning, leading, and yeah. all the other different ones there because I just spacing. know what, okay, there's spacing here between letters, there's spacing here between words, there's spacing here between lines of words. Whatever the bloody word is, doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter to my client either. I get academically why they teach it. I just don't know why they preach it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Write that down. Man, I'm going to put it in script post. <laughs> no. That's going to be a bumper sticker on Tony's uh, <laughs> minivan that he's got for all these smart young kids. No. <laughs> um, the, so the thing is, it, it goes back again to what we were saying. There are some asshole pretentious designers. And then there are those that are empathetic and know, like we said again, they aren't the experts in the industry that they were hired to solve problems for. Now, what you said is half true and half not true. You know, I do think that a lot of designers overcomplicate things. It's very easy to do. But part of our process is to overcomplicate it so we can simplify it, if that makes any sense. And it probably doesn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that because you can't, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And then it has to whittle way down. Yeah, you yeah, know, a lot of times we'll go through a whole flow and I'll go, okay, what if it, wasn't this at all and i was like dude i just spent all day doing this i was like i know and it's great but what if it wasn't this at all um you know there are some problems that are extremely difficult to solve with design and there are some systems and businesses and industries that are so immensely complex we will never know be on the surface. So we have to do what we think is best based on the user needs. And I think we get in trouble when we try to solve simple problems. I think that's when we try to get fancy as designers. When we go to solve the really complex ones, I think because it's so hard, I think we're so focused that it's like, man, I got to solve this. This is really rough. But it's when, yeah. when it's something that we've done all the time, like an order flow for food or whatever, then we get fancy. I think that's what it is, Frank. I think we nailed it just then. I can draw a parallel there, even to watching, like we have MasterChef on at the moment on, on TV. And, and you see chefs or the cooks, the contestants, um, creating something that should realistically be as simple as possible. And the challenge is, you know, make us the best, you know, jaffle, waffle, whatever you Mm. call it, um, toasted sandwich, if you will, and present us, you know, something that is a bit more bougie. And then they go crazy and then lose their shit and present something that just looks like a turd on a plate. And you go, 
All you had to do was put something fancy inside two pieces of bread, and that was the game. You could have made some real nice cheese, had some other you know bit of good bit of ham or something, and that's the game. You create an experience that is something that we're here to expect. You start putting in weird ass ingredients, weird not even bread. You deconstruct the hell out of it, and we go, what? Yeah, that's a what great metaphor. First of all. I don't know. I'm coming if... up with all these metaphors and analogies like it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they go, they're going. It's like I'm confused called... and trying to understand how to walk again. <laughs> they called us pretentious. They're the pretentious <laughs> ones. No, yeah. it's a great metaphor. It is. It, it, if I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and a chef gives me one of those deconstructed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that I want them to experience in a new way. You have to some, mash the jelly yourself. Yeah. Some people will love it and really get off on that. Mm. I just want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, that's what the user need is. That's what the user want is. Exactly. Yeah. This was a much better way to approach this than I was hoping it was going to be, or thought it was going to be, actually. I should say they're not hoping it was going to be. Um, which, for me, I, I was. I think if I'd interviewed someone else about UX design, I probably would have got a very systematic approach. This is how you do this. this. From your perspective, though, Tony, to understand that it is design thinking, it's exactly applicable to any other form of design out there, even if it's making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, it, it makes sense. Now, from your own perspective you have a career in ux design and and getting into that now seems like there's an open door to get into it because it's widely accepted in many businesses especially in the tech space i guess Um, but in in many other experience led um businesses that require their users to interact that they are looking for more and more people like this either in-house or with teams like bottle rocket so how does one get into that and what is someone looking for on that team or in that company to to be the person that you know they need effectively? That's, that's, I don't know. Well, <laughs> it depends on what question you're asking. Is it what are they looking for in a candidate or what should you know as a designer? Good question. I'm not entirely sure which one would be most helpful right now. I guess for most people that if you've heard the term UX and you're interested in, I guess, either learning it or exploring it as a potential Mm. job career path, um, what would be most helpful, helpful for you to know now that may help you instead in your stead of, you know, reaching a potential goal of having that as a career. So if you are looking to like transition into UX from potentially a different design um, background or yeah. a lot of people come from psychology, et cetera. Some people just come yeah, from sure. whatever. Um, sure. I know some that were zoologists. Um, yeah, right. yeah. You know, I think that there is a lot of value and starting in the UI space starting to learn the tools um, and software that UI designers use. Mm-hmm. I'm only speaking because that's how I started. Um, we didn't have Sketch when I started back then, but Sketch, Figma. So it's learning, the, it's learning those fundamental programs that allow you to actually create the experience itself. Yeah. So I, I think if you can create the end experience first, then that way you can work backwards from there kind of thing. Now, uh, how should I put this? If you want to get hired as what people are generally asking for in UX design, unfortunately, most companies are going to be saying they want all of it and someone who can code. Yeah. The reality is the head of design at that company probably didn't write it and it's poppycock. But um, I would say your actual design skills in software should be there unless you have found a great company that just hires UX designers for the actual strategy work and not the living inside Figma, living inside Sketch, living inside Adobe XD work. 
and leaving that to a UI designer. Now, the difference, the, the, the problem is a lot of companies don't delineate that and separate that. They just say, we want the ninja, we want the rock star, we want the lord of all UX to come in and do all of it. Everything. And yeah. then probably do yeah. some CSS and HTML. To them, uh, I say, you are absolutely insane. And they aren't working in a design culture or in a, in a business that understands design and its impact. Yep. Now then, <clears throat> if you are someone who wants to advance in UX, there's money to be made in UX as a, what I would say, pixel pusher. Okay, someone who does the strategy and then also does the, the pixel design, etc. However, the strategy side of it is where you can really be impactful, start making more money, mm. <laughs> and grow in rank. If that's what floats your boat. If that doesn't float your boat, then you don't have to. Yeah, You know, you can do yeah. the execution part. And a lot of people are extremely happy doing that. I thought I would be doing that because, again, I didn't have a degree in this. I had, I, I had, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. But I learned the software and I taught myself and all the things and I made a lot of mistakes. And I thought that that's where I would stay. But I saw people lapping me in mm. the, quote, design skills, if you will in sketch and whatever, uh, uh, not in sketch. And then sketch came out and I learned it and it was bare bones. And then they did another release, another release. And then they added the plugins and they did this. And then Figma came out and I was like, I got to learn Figma. And then all the, and I was like, I, I'm not Maybe going to keep up. Yeah. I can't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I pivoted and never looked back. And it was a great decision, at least for me personally, anecdotally, whatever. Um, yeah. So I guess the, the takeaway then is to to learn the fundamentals that, that allow you to actually execute. Um, but I guess as you grow, if you do want to grow into a larger shoes, let's say, and, and, and escalate your career maybe exponentially further, is to start understanding the design thinking process and, and really the strategic side of how it gets to that end result. And how to present and how to facilitate yeah. workshops huge yep. these are huge things mm -hmm. like as a proper ux designer you have to have as table stakes um yes. oh you said something and i was gonna riff on it but it escaped my mind and that's okay <laughs> well how about you tell us about the course because you alluded to it before you have this new course hide yeah. ux yeah. Um, do you want to touch on it and then how people can get involved in it and how it would be helpful to those that want to you know, start a career in UX? Oh, for sure. Um, here's the thing. Like I said, I actually, I didn't say this, but I majored in acting in university. I guess that's what you call it, university, uni. Yep. But it was college yep. here. Uni. Yep. Yep. Majored in acting, um, had moderate success, and then I was like, I don't want this lifestyle. So I was like, what am I going to do? I'm, I had no portfolio, I had no resume, and I had no design degree. And now, here I am 10 years later, not to say that it's anything, but I host a pretty successful podcast on UX design called Experience Design. I do talks around the US. I have a pretty decent job in all the things, and I'm and I started with zero to do with the design field. So... The course I created is called Hired UX, and it's about how to get hired as a UX designer. It's not about how to teach you about UX design. There's a very clear, very specific um, line in the sand. Before you take my course, you need to know how to design, and you need to consider yourself a UX designer. And if you're not that school, just go take another course and then come back when you're ready to get hired. Yeah. Uh, and I teach you all of the things that you need to do. You know, uh, you need to ha obviously have a portfolio and someone goes, well, I don't have a portfolio. Well, 
cool, neither did I. Here's how you make one. I'm not going to get into it right now because I want you to take the course, obviously. And here's the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. I'm not. <laughs> and there's a thing in there. The, the most valuable video that I have in my course is called Making the Connections Right. You always hear somebody say, making the right connections. And while I understand what they mean by that, I think making the connections right to me means more because you already have the connections you need in your proximity. It's just about getting them right. You just don't know that they're there. Anyway, um, all this to say, I knew making this course for me was not about pulling in a butt ton of money. I truly made the course I wish I had when I started and I was looking and struggling to find work because it does not exist and they do not teach it in college. Hmm. I'm going to do this. Resume, go for it and here's your portfolio, go for it and see what happens. That's pretty much my, that was my experience when I left. And it's all very, it's, you, you can tell everything reads just like a project, just like, you know, professor told me to do this. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's do a discount code hiredux.com and let's do my Instagram discount code insta i n s t a 2020 you'll get 20% off that means it took a course that was 79 bucks just 79 stupid dollars brings it down to $63 um and i i i hesitate to reveal this it's like a m night shyamalan movie if you make it through the entire course, which just by the nature of the thing, a lot of people won't, a lot of people will. At the end of the course, there's a very specific call to action in there. And it's about setting up a one-on-one with me in a coaching session. And we go through everything together that you've made from the course. And we try to set you up even more. So uh, again, I just want to help people that are struggling, especially in a time like now. Um, and there are jobs to be had. And I don't want you to click apply now ever again. That's my goal with the course, is that you will never have to physically click apply now. I like it. keeping people accountable. If they do the course, then you're there, you know, on their back, the Jiminy Cricket to go, hey, let's do this now. And I'm going to know if you took it, if you completed yeah, it, because it tells me. Mm-hmm. My dashboard mm-hmm. tells me. You actually saw 100% of it. So I'm going to know. going to be in your ass. I'm going to know. going to be in your ass and you're going to have to get a job. Be in your ass. Get a job, you bum. Uh, (laughs) I like it. That's really, I think that's something totally different that you typically don't see in in courses out there, which is uh, a fundamental problem, I think, to actually apply what that learning is Mm -hmm. and actually see it and to know you actually learned something out of it. Because um, if you take that it, person knows the value. If yeah. you take it, and I, like I want, I want to know. Uh, hmm. Like I want, I actually want to help you beyond just some videos. Because things evolve and change. And look, I'm not saying I'm going to be your mentor, like yep. day in and day out, and like we've committed to this relationship together. But I am going to be there for you, and I will coach you. Anyway, hiredux.com. What a good man. And this is probably one thing that Tony said before was that if you are looking to learn UX and the fundamentals, there's going to be a companion bit of content on Instagram and and possibly on the website if I get this website up at some point for resources to learn UX, which will be off, you know, Tony's back of knowing, you know, his recommended places to learn. I hope he has some. Um, (laughs) And then from there, we... uh, allow you to to access this course um with that very generous discount code so thank you tony for offering that um where else can people find you otherwise than x uh than hide ux.com tonydosat.com t-o-n-y-d-a-u-s-s-a-t.com and if you want to listen to the podcast it's called experience design with tony dosat I originally launched Tony, as XD podcast and then I rebranded it and it would, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, everybody yeah, still calls yeah. it XD, but it still shows up in Google and in iTunes for XD. So I don't really care. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's pretty good. It though. works. That's good. 
It's good. And we talk about it's a very we, good point. We yeah, don't just talk about UX. Good. Yeah, you know, we, we talk about yeah. the whole gambit of what design means. Yeah, I mean, I was on the podcast and we talked about time. Well, I think it was. That's right. About how to use our time effectively. So it, it's a very good podcast. Tony has a very good, if you haven't um, realized yet, he has a very good podcast voice to listen to. It's very, <laughs> uh, it's it, it's why he's uh, the announcer to some other podcasts out there. But uh, <laughs> that right. aside, he's a fantastic man. I always have very good chats with Tony. So it's a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you very much for coming on Two Red Chairs. Um, and I look forward to maybe getting you on one day again when you have the next course of actually how to do what it is you do. How to get a raise. Probably be. How to get a raise <laughs> once you're actually in the uh, in that job of your well, dreams. So, thank you, Mr. Gaday. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope people listening get a kick out of it. Cheers. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening um, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Do leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That would be very much appreciated. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.